Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to the show. You are here with your host, Auntie Vice, and it's good to be back. We are at the end of International Kink Month, and it seems my my guest is very fitting today. We have Max Carey, the director of the new film, Touch Kink. He is also a gay man and has been part of the community for a long time. So welcome to the show. Hello. Lovely to be here, and thanks for having me on your show. Appreciate it. Of course, of course. So before we get into the film and all of that good stuff, where did your kink journey begin? Hmm. Uh, I think there's like two stages to that. There's kind of like when you realize you're different than other people, uh, but you don't have a word for it. And uh, and then we start reading books and going, oh, that's what it is. Ah, okay. So stage one was pretty much right away. I mean, I just didn't fit in. Uh, I was the weird kid growing up in a small town that... Uh, just didn't fit in you know i didn't understand what was going on i uh why people seem so strange to me and so close-minded and so uh just generally weird and uh i'd always kind of done my own thing uh i'd always figured you know set up my own businesses and did my own travels and had my own adventures and went to europe and did all these crazy things at an early age and uh, i was surprised everyone didn't want to do this kind of thing uh, and then years later, I came across a book called SM 101 by Jay Wiseman. And uh, I think the opening chapter is something like, uh, well, there are people that are dominant and uh, it's not as common as you might think and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, now I get it. So not everyone thinks the same. Now I understand. So, yeah. <laughs> Once you found a language for it, were you able to find community? Um, I think I'd always had no problem. I mean, I like people. I, 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I like people of all sorts and I find people endlessly interesting, even if they are people that I wouldn't normally think would be part of my community. Um, so I don't know, humans are my community. Uh, for many years of my life, I was fortunate enough to sort of be able to work on the road and literally wandered the world, uh, went to 137 different countries over 18 years and I didn't have a home other than where I was. So, uh, you know, my community are, is humans and my home is planet earth. So in those wanderings, where were you, what countries did you come across that you really felt the deep connections to? Well, you know, I get asked that a lot, as you might imagine, and I've come to the conclusion that countries are a bit like people. 
you know, you think about it. If you're in a sad mood, you know who you're going to call. You want a party, maybe you're going to call somebody else. You want a spiritual conversation, you're going to call someone else. You want a, a good shag or a good bit of fun, you're going to call someone else. Countries to me are almost like that. It, it depends on for what, for relaxing, for spiritual journeys, for sexual adventures, for inspiration, for cultural whatever. Yeah, countries are kind of like people to me, um, depending on the mood I'm in uh, or what I'm looking for. Certain countries would appeal more than others at certain times. If you're looking for good food. Good food. Wow, that narrows it down. That does narrow it down. I'd probably go with Italy, India, and Thailand. That would be great choices. And for a good shag. A good shag. Hmm. A good shag. Well, volume, I would go to the Czech Republic, probably. Uh, quality, probably the UK, <laughs> in my opinion. It depends on. You know. <laughs> I, I've heard many good things about sex in the UK. I've yet to experience it, but I've heard well, many the good things. people, I think, are, are, for the most part, you know, the, the, the most kinky of the English-speaking folks. Uh, and, uh, you know, most part, you know, nothing really shocks them. Uh, so once you're friendly enough, you can sort of suggest whatever. And, you know, it's like the whole country may not be kinky, but they follow the basic sort of kink protocol of, uh, your, you know, yeah, it may not be my kink, but, you know, not, not the shaming, just, you know, be honest. And that obviously is very helpful when you're looking for a quality experience. It would. It would. Being out as a gay man, how has it been to travel the world? Because every country is a little different around queer stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I'm I'm queer, and I. But for me, I mean, everyone defines all these things differently. For me, uh, I define myself as queer because biology really doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, but I'm generally attracted to female presenting human beings. So, you know, and it's not really the kind of thing I've not really faced any real issues because even if uh, I have a girlfriend that's biologically male, uh, nobody really is going to notice anyway. So for better or for worse, it's kind of like I, I don't have to deal with the same kind of um, prejudice. I think a lot of people do. So for, honestly, it's never really been uh, something that's ever come up in my life. One of the things we talked about in prep for this interview is that there are a lot of folks who will give you pushback that you're not doing queer or gay or whatever mm -hmm. in the right way. How do you deal with the, we've had other guests on the show who talk about the need to feel authentically queer and not doing it in a way that mainstream gay defines what you should be. So how do you find your, what your gay identity is and feel comfortable in, in that queerness mm -hmm. as you move mm -hmm. through the world? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, queer to me is kinky. I mean, I, I actually, let me at least, I mean, we can all define ourselves any way we want. That's uh, our right. But for me, you know, um, the whole, I'm really getting myself into trouble, but I, I think that, you know, it's like there was two boxes and now there's maybe 10 boxes, but I really think we should just get rid of the bloody boxes. You know, uh, I'm, I, you know, I, I get that there was a struggle and, and, and communities need to be recognized and people had, issues and, and I, I get and i have huge respect for the 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 place in society the gay community has has earned and deserves and all that but sometimes i wonder and maybe you know this is the next step is that you know 
let's get past that and have to see people as people because everybody's got a little bit of everything in them. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, there's a lot of straight people that aren't entirely straight. And there's a lot of gay people that aren't entirely gay. And there's a lot of, you know, I, I kind of think everybody's queer. You like what you like. And, uh, you know, if you want to be in a box, you want to be part of a tribe and you need that protection and, or you want to show that, that, that community, the respect that it deserves that, you know, there's a thousand reasons to, support the lgbt community you know um, but I, you know i also wonder sometimes if some of this stuff uh if we shouldn't just focus on we're just people we're just humans and humans like what they like i a big thing that i sort of thought about and kind of came up with when i worked on this film and kind of sort of explained a lot of things for me and and i kind of think maybe this will be the future is just let's just forget biology you like what you like you know, you're, you're attracted to what you're attracted, period. You feel like who you want to be, or you're dominant, you're submissive, you're experimental, you're whatever you are. That role could be temporary, can be can be um, permanent. And, and you want to feel what you want to feel at any given moment. Isn't that really what it's all about? You know, why limit yourself? You know, um, I get that there's struggle, and that's, that's the, the big thing. There's so much struggle, and there's, especially within the trans community right now, there's so much just not getting the respect they deserve and you know so i get the you know the, but it, you know it's you know you, you have to one hand understand the reality of the situation that you're in now but kind of hoping for the future that we can just get past all this craziness well and one thing about getting opening up for people to just be okay with who they are and liking what they like is representation so for you in in your development, what films were really critical for finding yourself in film and your voice? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I kind of watched everything, and everything everything annoyed me on one level or another. Um, because it's like there's I haven't seen a perfect film about kink. It's like there's so many that are so close, and then they'll go throw in, oh yeah, but she only did it because she's a cutter. Or, you know, it's, oh, this, but, oh, it's really, like, just really get back at her husband. Or, like, it just, there's a lot of good stuff, but I still think, I don't think there's, the closest thing that has really stuck with me, I love it, was a film called The Dukes of Burgundy, which is a film, a uh, French film, if I remember correctly. Uh, and it was just, it was sort of adorable because it was sort of kinky, but show, showing the intention, you know, just doing this for love kind of thing. And you know in a weird way that might have been one of the more perfect ones even though you know it was kind of wasn't well one of the i don't want to spoil the film just go see the film <laughs> um what else did i see um yeah there's there's so many little bits but i don't i don't think there's anything i could really point to and say yeah yeah you know and i guess that maybe sounds sound a bit arrogant but i suppose that's one of the reasons i tried to make the movie i made is try and be it's not perfect. There's no it, perfection's impossible. And I, people say, "Oh, I don't feel represented." I'm like, "Well, yeah, I can't represent everybody unless I had a hundred hours of material." But I did want to get to the core, the core truth of what we talk about as kink is really just being an ethical human being, just being really open and talking to people. I know it's really controversial, but, you know, really getting to know people in an open, honest, shameless uh, way without shame and then deciding on what to do and making sure everybody's enthusiastically consenting to whatever you're you're doing and then doing that thing and then, you know, checking in with everybody. I mean, that just seems a perfect 
roadmap for everything. <laughs> so what got you initially into filmmaking? Because this isn't your first film. Uh, well, it's actually my first time directing, believe it or not. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I've been been in the... I often try to ma- I make the analogy that I was kind of like the guy that built the house, not the guy that designed the house. I used to jokingly say to people, you know, I had post-production companies, editing companies, these kinds of things. And I used to joke, I'd never be crazy enough to direct a film. It's like being an architect. There's, you know, if you're successful, you're great. You make a lot of money, but a lot of architects don't do so well. But builders are always busy. (laughs) Contractors are always busy. So I always did that. I got the job uh, as a newspaper photographer at the tender age of uh, 13. I got paid the princely sum of $5 per picture. It wasn't even American dollars, Canadian dollars, but like two cents US, I think, right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had to take the picture, process the picture, and it had to be accepted and published. But um, for, for a kid that was awkward and didn't really understand the world as much, just, the world didn't make sense, the camera quickly became my passport for being in the room, my excuse to be there. Okay, I'm at the Rotary Club meeting because I'm taking pictures. I'm meeting this 100-year-old person because I'm taking pictures. I'm at the Lions Club or the sports event or whatever because I'm taking pictures. And it, it gave me a natural excuse, visa, reason to enter circles of people who may or may not think as I thought, but to get to know them and be welcomed in. And uh, that has sort of been the the pivotal thing in my life is just to feel comfortable around anybody. And once, if you get that exposure so early in life, we walk in all those circles of rich and poor and fancy and less fancy and all this, and it really, really is helpful. So, yeah. What's your favorite part of the the movie making process. <laughs> I'm going to say something flippant like finishing the damn thing. Uh, but uh, as a writer, I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we're getting paid. Neither of those things seem to come easily. Um, I don't know. I I don't always succeed, but I always try and enjoy every moment. Uh, of everything um i've always believed that there is no future there is no past all we ever have is now so we might as well enjoy it i mean that's the 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 the, the super ego kind of notion the 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 uh, the basic sort of impulse and desire certainly is just finishing it <laughs> so enjoying every moment and being present how much of that has been aided by being a participant in kink you know, it's weird. I don't actually participate per se in that much kink anymore. I just like kinky people. I I, I just find I, I like people that talk about crazy things and open and expand my mind. You know, I, I'm not actually like playing that much anymore. So no, I, I think my favorite part is, is not participating. It's just interacting with people that have open minds and that you know, uh, they're, they're one a little bit more likely to not, you know, fall over and collapse and have a heart attack. If you say, uh, you know, I like, uh, I don't care whether a girl has a penis or not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, where some people are like, oh, wait, would that, make, that, that makes you gay? Like, wait, wait, okay, whatever. Call, you can call yeah. me what you want. I, I call myself as a a queer person, a kinky person, uh, but you know, I don't really care what you, how you want to define me. So other than 
not seeing the perfect kinky film. What else was the origin of this current one? Well, the film started years ago when I met uh, a dominatrix. Uh, got a correspondence. Her name was January Seraph. And it was the first time I'd ever actually met. I mean, first time I knowingly met a dominatrix. I'm sure I had met others before. And, you know, I'm, I can, I've had the opportunity to travel and see the world and consider myself pretty open-minded. But I was really surprised by her and her life and what she was sharing about the misconceptions that people had about what she did and realized that I had a lot of those same misconceptions about what a, a dominatrix was. And, uh, you know, she had suggested, you know, an interesting film to sort of explore what people think it is and what it really is. And of course, being who she was, she had lots of connections. So the journey sort of came, started from that relatively chance encounter. What were your misconceptions that changed as you worked on this film? I think it's the same thing that, I mean, I knew, but I didn't know. It's like, you, we have this thing in our minds that we want to peg somebody. Oh, that person's a, a nice person. That person's an ass. That person's a, a good person. That person's a, you know, whatever. And I mean, I know that people are more than one thing, but I guess when you, you still have those cliches in your head sometimes. And a dominatrix was one that I had really sort of in my mind, okay, this is going to be a tough woman that just is going to like control and dominate the situation, you know, and I, I don't think she'd be that much fun to hang out with unless that was my thing kind of thing. And, uh, and it was just the opposite. She was so engaging and sweet. And that's been my experience ever since, of course, just that the good ones, especially will start off as equals and, and depending on how the relationship goes and how each field and that dynamic may change but it's you can always tell the ones that don't know what they're doing when they try and dominate you from the first second because that's uh that's obviously a cliche the best ones are the you know save that the the hard stuff for <laughs> when you're really ready and when they want to pull, pull it out they have that range certainly but they don't start that way so yeah learning about I mean, I'd always knew, I mean, that's the thing. I've been so many places, so many of my experiences in life. My favorite ones are always like, I thought this and I was wrong or, or was far more interesting or far more or something like, I think I might've mentioned uh, going to uh, a leather competition in uh, Washington state. And, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm queer, I, but I, I certainly, and I don't really attracted to manly men type things. So it's not really an environment that I, was completely comfortable in and I kind of had my own cliches of what that would be about just you know all these men with the sex drives and that they have and they're going to be like oh yeah you know it's a 24-hour fuck fest I'm like I'm almost jealous really but anyway you know and then at they there was uh it was a title event uh somebody was getting the the leather title the sash and before that they did the anthem and it was just like, you just feel the whole tone in the room change, like that, the whole, just the tone and hand on your heart. And, you know, first, first looking at it, I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But I could really feel an energetic change. And I started talking to the guys like, wow, I mean, I've never seen anybody take the anthem. I mean, in a community like that, a kink, kinky people are often not that patriotic. Let's let, leave it at that. I mean, they're, they're kind of, you know. And you, this community was, and I said, well, yeah, you understand that 90% of these guys served 90% of these guys had literally served. They had risked their asses for this freedom. And 
I don't know. Just it, I just I don't know. It bothers me that I didn't know that or didn't didn't that it wasn't part of my general knowledge that you know what people think jokingly think oh the village people those are the soldiers that kept our freedoms and these are men that deserve if anybody earned the right to have uh, a good time uh i never serve these guys serve these guys literally it actually brings tears to my eyes sometimes just to think about it because it was such a profound kind of just catching yourself someone who's like i think i know so much and i'm like how did i not know that you know and there is quite a quite a bit of a history of service in the kink, especially the gay kinky men's community. Um, and in the U.S., that that's where the traditions come from. I mean, it's the dudes who served in WW2 that came back and wanted those connections, which is amazing. This film focuses largely on female prodoms. And in making that choice to represent the kink community through their perspectives, what went into deciding that this was almost exclusively the group you were going to feature in the film? Well, I'd like to say it was all part of my master plan, but the truth is you meet who you meet. Uh, you know, the first people that I met were, were pro-doms through, um, through January. And, uh, you know, the first few events I went to were sort of oriented to that. So the truth is it was the community that I was able to meet in the community that i was able to intersect with and, and have an opportunity to do that i mean that's the truth of it you know um i i learned a little bit about the lifestyle community and a lot of there was a lot of crossover for a lot of people as well but you know the truth is those are the people i met those were the stories that i had and that's sort of what happened if i uh, had met somebody who was uh, you know, uh, in the more in the lifestyle community back at that time, and the connections probably would have been about that, you know, but it's really just um, taking the adventure, you know, the, the chance little ticket to kinky land. And these are the people that I met uh, on my trip, you know, that's the truth of it. A lot of the the interviews you do in the, the documentary, the people bring up that there's an energetic exchange, that this is about the psychology and the energy. And that can be really difficult to capture on film, right? People focus on the physical activities. So when you're in the room, what's the experience versus how that translates to what's on film? That's an interesting question. I think I try to not really judge as much as possible simply because i know i knew at a at a relatively early stage that you can see people doing anything you could see them you know the classic example you could watch 20 couples spanking each other and it all looks the same and you're very inclined to go oh well they're all having the same experience but i assure you and most people that understand what's going on would say every one of those couples is having unique experience and it comes back to this notion of like what are they focusing on are they focusing on bums and hands or leather or whatever what are they how they feel are they, who are they in that moment are they strong are they weak are they submissive are they dominant uh, what do they want to feel they want to feel like pleasure do they want to feel pain do they want to feel humiliation do they want to feel encouragement you can't tell by looking and you know that's their experience it's like you know you everybody goes and looks at a piece of art and you know good ones at least makes you feel differently 
So um, I just wanted to let people get a little bit of exposure to a few things. And my main sort of important thing I hope people try and get from is just that little circle of, you know, negotiation, consent, play, aftercare. Just follow that little circle and see here's a bunch of people that follow that. And, uh, you know, they seem to be having fun. Maybe you'll find some fun of your own. Speaking of consent and aftercare, how'd you prep your crew for it? Because some of the crew probably going in, this is first time seeing some of this stuff. So what did you do around their consent and aftercare to seeing some of this stuff? Well, it was a very, very small crew. Uh, it was me and my cameraman, who's a Dutchman by the name of Ari. And Ari is uh, a man of the world. And uh, he said, oh, Max, this, we don't even, in Holland, we don't even call this kink. It's just hard. You know, he was just so, he's he's Dutch. And it was like, I, sometimes he scared me. He'd be like, um, yeah, like someone would say, oh, do you want to do this scene where people are going to be like hooked in blood and all the rest of it? I'm like, well, A, no, I don't want to see it. B, I don't think I could put it in the movie anyway. And he's, and he's like, oh, but I look cool. <laughs> you know, so, um. Yeah, I, I, it was. We talked about what, what was going to happen. We always did interviews first, but um, I honestly don't think that was because of the people I was working with. Um, uh, it was really ever much of an issue. And uh, a, fam- a fairly famous dominatrix uh, also acted as a consultant and sort of, you know, gave us a little bit of information about what was going to happen and stuff. So, you know, small crew and as much you know, open-minded crew that seemed to be taking care of it. This is always helpful. Yeah. The more people you get involved, the more difficult those negotiations can be. You were, you had the advantage of filming at a number of different events, Dom cons, some uh, uh, Dom travel groups and stuff. What was your favorite to be able to just witness and be there? To be able to, probably the, the stuff in Costa Rica, the, the Dom trips. I love the water and I love the playful nature. It just reminded me, and King generally reminds me of this, is it, it's play for grown-ups, you know? And what's better to play than in a sunny place by the pool and, you know, do crazy stuff. And I felt that felt the most sort of carefree, natural, just fun in the sun, kinky games in the sun kind of thing. And uh if I uh, have the money, I would love to go to that again someday. Th- those kinds of events, because it's just those are those are fun. Those are really fun. You know, I like Fetish Factory in Florida, which is also kind of like a fun in the sun type event. So I guess maybe because I'm Canadian, we don't get a lot of sun and heat. Uh, I always like the fun in the sun ones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you lucked into in one of the uh, totally not sunny area. You were filming in England with a pro who had her own space and then neighbors found out and then the entire world found out about that and she was forced to move space uh that was a few years ago kink has grown in increasing popularity do you see it would be different today or do you think people would have a similar experience of finding that there is a pro working next door to them i think it's worse now actually i think you know i I think everything, um, you know, in the universe and, and, and politics and history works in waves and waves kind of open and close. And for whatever reason, culturally speaking, I think we're going back to sort of conservatism again, going back to hell no, where, you know, people are just knee jerk reactions to 
you know, something that often they don't understand. We just had a huge march up here where parents were like against uh, Soji, which, you know, they they had these ridiculous notions of what it was all about. And all it really boils down to is it's okay to be you. You know, I mean, they're they're not encouraging anything. You know, I wish I had Soji when I was a kid. Uh, you know, I'm lucky enough I was dominant enough that I didn't didn't really bother me too much a lot of the stuff. But if you were a sort of a a really sensitive soul that couldn't take the heat, you know, life was hell. You know, so I think it's a fantastic idea. But they 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 make it sound like these people. It's some the government grooming kids and lining up for all these horrific things. Nobody's read what this is. Nobody knows what this is. They just don't like the the, the fact that some people that people are trying to be more authentic, and and they just have this knee jerk reaction. I couldn't believe when I would see these like hyper conservative white anglo-saxon little old ladies marching with the women from conservative muslim groups wearing whatever whatever these people would never get along typically but you know suddenly their new strategies because they're both just afraid of uh you know anything that's quote-unquote abnormal you know it's weird weird stuff but yes right now i think we're going you know I, i i hope the the crest of the wave is is hit and we're going to go back but for whatever reason i feel like we're going back into a more of a conservative age and there could be more of a stink than there was there definitely in the u.s there's that and you know we're seeing it in other countries as well um one of the things i do is bring on people who folks who are a little older because those of us who've been around for several decades have seen some shit so for the younger sensitive generation coming up what would you tell them? Well, I think they, they, uh, I, th- I, I think that they're actually in good stead. I mean, it depends on where they're educated, of course, but mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can tell your, tell your kids not to smoke weed and they're going to smoke weed. The smartest things my ever parents ever did was tell me too. And I never did. Uh, <laughs> we just are going to do the opposite. So like if conservative, I mean, if, if, they'd probably if the conservatives really wanted to try and stop all this stuff they should try and encourage young people to do it you know they do the opposite so i i, I think that you know they understand they they have a flu uh an understanding of who they are and the language and the internet for this stuff that i never had we never so i think they're in good stead and i think maybe that uh, this is sort of the dying death knell of the last big conservative wave i don't know uh, but I think the next generation, you know, the, we'll, we'll be getting 1969 again in maybe 10 years, you know. <laughs> I can hope we get this last gasp of the white supremacy patriarchy taking over. Well, it's not sadly, you know, it's never going to end because, I mean, it's 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 just we 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 open, we close, we loosen. Uh, you know, I hate to break it to you, and, and I'm sure that, you know, you know, but we haven't got it all right either. In 50 years from now, as open-minded as we think we have, somebody's going to go, oh, my God, how could they think that this was a good idea? We'll, we'll be viewed as like the... You know, because, you know, we as 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 open minded, but we still we always have our little prejudgments that, you know, maybe we haven't been called out on those things yet and haven't even heard about them yet. But that's going to happen. So we'll, it'll open. It'll adapt to be more like where we are. And then we'll might be the, we might be the curmudgeons in 50 years like, oh, wow. Yeah, they're still just all they want to do is this. You know, um, they're so, so uh, conservative, you know, <laughs> who knows? Does I I 
recognize how much of that stays with you because you know i was a latchkey kid of the 80s and i watched just recently watched the documentary class action park about action park in new jersey and as a kid who went to water parks and my sister was a lifeguard at one in san jose here like we're cracking up at the really awful shit that they used to do and stuff and her son's going oh my gosh this is so horrible and both of us had the action we're going win you'll never survive the 80s but like we also know how bad it was but there's some of that stuff is just generational like and you default back to that at times even when you know yeah that was really fucked up but you're also going pussy pussy to like yeah. you know that's the thing the hardest thing for people to admit is that uh we we are two people you can be that person that you know wants to say you're a pussy and the same person yeah. who's also like actually i'm pretty sensitive myself and you know you know what i mean it's like you can be both and, and it's okay to be both that and everything else you know it was one of the things i did like about the documentary is you follow grace and grace is new to the whole world of bdsm and takes a class and you bring up the duality of it did you find like one of the things that a lot of people think is once you're kinky you're like in full leathers or latex and that's how you're going to work and stuff and they forget most of us have normal you know day-to-day -day lives where you couldn't tell and you did try to show that with a number of people including grace do you find by like even people who do this professionally and the pros did they have other lives outside of of kink where they weren't in full power exchange 24 7. oh everyone i i, I think it would be more exceptional i mean that people say but i 20 the 24 i i, I still to date have actually met someone who's who's managed to sustain that that is the, the the being kinky 24 hours a day seven days a week is the exception it's not the uh that's not normal everybody has you know a day job everyone has another life everybody uh you know does something else you know and i think that's one of the key messages is that these are your neighbors these are your friends these are the people of the pta absolutely i mean that was and I was stuck with me, my grandmother, uh, you know, we were kids, you know, I was starting to know that I was a little bit different. I don't know how the conversation came up about gay or whatever. And grandmother saying, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know anyone who's gay. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure you do, grandma. And then Liberace came out as being gay. And she's like, oh, he seems like such a nice man. Okay, I guess that's cool. And that was it. You know, it was really just a question of like, my grandmother just didn't think any of these people existed, really. You know, and and there's a lot of people who think oh, the kinky people don't. There's not really that many of them, are there? They don't really exist. You know, uh, I would argue, and I, I've seen the studies that it's the, the kink community is bigger than the whole LGBTQ community. You know, uh, it's as high in some countries now as 40 percent now. But depending on what you want to, you know, again, kink is self cannibalizing. The moment someone does it all, does the majority of people do it, it's not longer kinky. And since everybody's pretty much done fuzzy handcuffs at this point, bondage is no longer kinky. You know? <laughs> I had Tristan Taramino on the show a few episodes before you, and she wrote kind of the original guide to anal sex. And when it came out in the early 2000s, people were like, oh my God, anal sex. And like crickets, nobody wanted to talk about it or admit it. And now it's like, I just did a couple of consoles for Cosmo on like, 
ways to peg your boyfriend the not the big wedding magazine here in the state was reaching out what are the best pegging dildos for your wedding night like it's changed radically it really has and i think that's that's really for the benefit and i think that that is you know in the end of the day we get one uh, one trip around the uh, the universe uh, we should enjoy our lives and we should try and be as authentic and try uh, experiment as and do as many things as we can if that if it interests us with it you know there are things that we should feel shame for but they're not as many as they give you <laughs> you know <laughs> not as many as they want you to believe <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and yeah, of course, you want to try that, go for it, you know? You you grew up in Canada and you live there now. How has the gay and kink community changed that you've seen in the last 20, 30 years? Well, I grew up on the West Coast in uh, BC. And I've moved now, I, I, I'm Canadian, but I couldn't quite bear to live in the English part of Canada just because it's would be like going back to where it would just be, I mean, I love the people. Don't get me wrong. It just did. I needed to be in a slightly exotic environment and being in a place where French is the predominant language and the culture is different seems to suit me well. So I don't really, I can't really make a big comparative difference between then and now because I, I don't have a then and now for the East coast or a then and now for the West coast. But I do find in general that, Quebec, um, for the most part, in my mind, at least kind of, you know, had their sexual revolution a little later than most places. It was a, it was a place like Ireland that was largely run by the church. So a lot of the big institutional stuff. So, you know, they kind of had their sixties in the eighties, you know, and, and, uh, they do seem a lot more open about that sort of thing, open about events. There's like, I mean, it blows me away the kind of events that I'll see advertised that are available for you to go there and, you know, go join an orgy if you want or a gangbang or this or that. And it's like, it's not even, you know, used to have to know secret handshakes and stuff. Now it's just, yeah, at six o'clock or four, there's a dress and, you know, have a shower. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be a dick. That's that's generally the usual caveat with most of these. You talked about not feeling very represented by the films that you've seen. And one of the critiques of this film is that it's largely white and largely uh, a heterosexual dynamic. Mm -hmm. And part of that, obviously, is who you had the connections with. But do you Mm -hmm. think there's any disservice of representing kink with with that as the majority of people speaking in the film? Um, Yes and no. uh, Yes, it would be nice. It would be if I had met the people and had the opportunity to uh, show more, I would have liked to, um, but know the sense, the core notion of, um, you know, really just trying to be a one-on-one on essentially consent, enthusiastic consent. I feel quite strong about pride about that. Um, anybody that I always like to joke, and that's not a joke. If anybody uh, has the funding, <laughs> I would love to do one completely about any community at all, because there's so many communities that are interesting. I genuinely am fascinated by the, the American leather tradition right now, even though I don't find, you know, male presenting people that interested, that attractive. I just found the community and the, uh, the story amazing. You know, so uh, if I have somebody, you know, somebody wants to go play, you know, find me the funding and I would happily, happily do uh, that story as well. So you are, you have some other films in development. Do you want to talk about those for a minute? 
Well, I'm I'm just developing a whole bunch of different ideas. Um, usually, most of my my work and my knowledge is either around kink or sexuality or around travel, just straight up travel. I uh, believe that travel is uh, therapeutic and it can be used like medicine, essentially. Like depending on what you we were talking earlier about favorite country or favorite this or that, depending on what you need, there are places in the world that can kind of help you with that, you know? And I believe that travel, uh, yeah, can be therapeutic. So that's one of the concepts I'm doing is called Seven Journeys. Uh, Another concept I'm doing is about, uh, you know, right now the modern provocateurs, the modern people leading the culture are often people creating content. Uh, they're creating kinky content or other content and challenging norms, artists, filmmakers, whatever, m- you know, maybe do something along that line. Another issue I'm seeing that bothers me so much is that the shadow banning and the how somehow corporations have become the arbiters of morality, that uh, Visa and MasterCard seem to have replaced the church in saying what you're allowed to consume ethically or consensually or not they, they don't they don't even give you the option if you're into something that they deem is for whatever reason inappropriate you know the nobody can make money selling it or doing it there's no commerce around it. if there's no commerce around it then it becomes really really hard to do it <laughs> so that whole shadow banning and how the corporate titans have somehow become the arbiters of our morality which is strange you know so there's a few different ideas, but the truth is, it's uh, you know what what the fun, where the funding goes and where the story goes, you know. Yeah, and you know nothing can go wrong with a corporation making morality decisions, right? Clearly, seen that um, as somebody yeah. who used to work for Philip Morris. Yes. So this film is now making the rounds of various festivals and showings. What are you hoping people take away from it? Uh, just to answer the question why kink is actually not what they think and to just fall into that circle and don't feel shameful about who you are, what you do, just don't be a dick and, and follow those, follow the rules of, you know, of just talking openly with people, not judging them, finding that consent, playing and just making sure it worked out well with aftercare. And I just, you know, I, I think it's just a model for everything. And I would like people to be, you know, I was a weird kid. I would like all those other weird kids to maybe feel a little less weird. I don't know. That's great. If folks want to see a screening of your film, reach out to you, or if they have a lot of money to give you to do a film, mm. where do they find you? Max at touchkink.com. We will have all of those links and more up on our sites. Listeners, thank you so much for being on your sh- on the show. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And now, a moment of gratitude. What am I currently grateful for? Uh, I'm going to Europe next week, and that's going to be really fun to go and meet a bunch of people I haven't haven't been in years. So to go and see a bunch of old friends and go to festivals and... uh, yeah, just uh, get a chance to uh, get back out on the road again, I guess, and uh, talk to people I haven't seen in a long time. I'm grateful for that.
Chicks of the World. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.